Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Last Sunday, uh, January 21st, was the anniversary of the Pilgrim Fathers' first religious service in America. January 21st, 1621. Being sorely harassed by the authorities because of their religious beliefs, they had first of all journeyed to the Netherlands from England in 1608. Unhappy there, they returned to England in 1620 and embarked in the Mayflower and journeyed on to the New World, landing at Plymouth December 26th. They had journeyed on. And this morning I want us to consider not the Pilgrim Fathers who journeyed on, but our Pilgrim Father, who is recorded in these words in Genesis 13:3, and he journeyed on. That little word and is, of course, a conjunction uh, used to connect words and sentences and, and introduce uh, additional comment. Here in Genesis 13.3, it takes us back and then to the future. Back to the reference in the first two verses, where we read that Abraham went up from Egypt. Egypt, that sorry episode in Abraham's life, recorded for us in chapter 12 and verses 10 through 20, where we see not only deception, but we see unbelief. And yet in the midst of sin and shame and scheming, the Lord's grace preserves and protects Abraham until he is deported from Egypt. Abraham went up from Egypt, and he journeyed on. On to where? The answer is verse 4. To the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now, we may not have been in Egypt recently, although I'm sure some of you have been to Port Said and sailed up the, the Red Sea. But geography aside, spiritually, we all know something about unbelief and sin and shame 
and scheming. And yet in God's providence, we too, like Abram, have been called to journey on. The words of the Apostle Paul that were read to us, Forgetting those things that are behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. And as been said already in our service this morning, 2023 has passed. We have already entered 2024. So what's ahead? What's involved? What are we called upon to do? Well, surely, to journey on, to press on, to strain forward. And so this morning, three little lessons from our pilgrim father, Abraham. How do we journey on? What is required in journeying on in pressing forward? Well, the first thing I put to you is this. We need to have an altar of intimacy. We need to have an altar of intimacy. Verses 3 and 4. Abram returns to the place where there was an altar. A place of intimacy with God. A time of communion with God. Here is the God who had called him. Here is the God who had appeared to him. Here is the God who had brought him out of Egypt. Abram comes back to the place where he had made an altar at first and where he had called upon the name of the Lord. He comes back to renew, he comes back to be refreshed and revived in communion with God. So what is it to have communion with God? What, what are the features of communion with God? Well, the foundation of our communion with God is his grace. The foundation of our communion is his grace. I direct your attention to the words of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, if you're a Bible student at all, I'm sure you have read those words many, many times in your Bible readings. And yet how frequently we, we read over things without much thought, without much consideration. Simple words like these. Now the Lord said to Abraham, what amazing words are these? These words, you see, are, are unexplainable apart from God's grace. For Abram was an idolater. Abram was a pagan. And yet God, the Almighty Yahweh, comes and speaks to him. 
As one commentator put it, if you think you know why God has shown His grace to you, you do not know yourself, and you haven't the foggiest idea of what grace is. The call of Abram is utterly unexplainable. And so the true saint of God sings that old song, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. Grace, astounding grace, for this God of grace then appeared to Abram. He comes to this man and he assures him, he communicates to him his concerns regarding the future. And here is where communion with God begins. It begins with him. It begins with the heart and the mind of God. The initiative and power is with God. It is a relationship which the Lord Himself creates by coming to us and speaking to us so that we might know Him, rejoice in Him, and respond to Him. To put it simply, communion is a divine gift. What do we see here with Abraham? A relationship that God himself initiated. And in every stage, that initiative remained with God in his hands. In grace, Abraham is found back at the altar of intimacy of communion. The foundation of our communion with God is His grace to us. But what then is the focus of our communion with God? Well, we are to fill our minds with all the essential truths of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is, the foundation of our communion with God is His grace. And the focus of our communion is the triune God Himself. Abram journeyed back to the place where there was an altar, the place of sacrifice, the place of atonement, the place where God had revealed Himself to him. And so we too focus on those mighty facts of our faith, the mighty features of our faith, that is, the very person and work of the triune God. In our times of communion with God, we must contemplate and meditate Upon the love of the Father. The love of the Father. That free 
undeserved eternal love for us. To rest in His love. To delight in His love. To reverence His love. To be obedient to that love. That God so loved. That love which drew salvation's plan. That love that knew us before the foundation of the world. That love which embraced us before creation. When it comes to holding communion with God, we focus on Him. God the Father and His love for us. And then in our daily communion with God, we meditate on the grace of heaven's Son. For in Him, all grace is founded. Saving grace, sanctifying grace, serving grace, sufficient grace. So that we learn daily to, to lean upon the Son and to trust in Him, and to submit to Him that grace that brought salvation down to man. He, though He was rich, yet for our sake became poor. The love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and then in our communion with the triune God, we consider the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That comfort which strengthens and encourages our heart. That comfort that brings glorious assurance to us because He has come to indwell us. He has come to be with us. He has come to enlighten our minds. He's come to educate us. He's come to equip us. He's come to enable us. He's come that we might know our God. He has come to apply all the riches and the wealth of salvation to us. My friends, this is communion with God. Not just rushing through your daily reading so that you can tick the box that you've done your quiet time for the day. But taking time to meditate upon the triune God. As John Owen put it, the glory of God. And so my brothers and sisters, with such a disciplined focus, we maintain our communion with God. And so how needful it is to make time and have time and a place in order to be still and know that He is God. For then, what is the fruit of having communion with God? What is the fruit of our communion with God? You see, if the foundation of our communion is grace, and the focus of our communion is the triune God, then surely, surely, the fruit of our communion with God 
ought to be a must be gladness gladness and gratitude gratitude of heart because the altar is also a place of worship. It is a place of thanksgiving. It is a place of gratitude to God for all His goodness to us. Because notice what, notice what Abram did at the altar. He called upon the name of the Lord. Almost certainly a prayer of petition, but also a hymn of, of praise. I couldn't help but think that Psalm 105 is a good commentary on this. Turn with me, Psalm 105, and the, the, first, the first six verses. What does the psalmist say? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abram, His servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. You see what surrounds calling upon the name of the Lord? Notice the links. There's thanksgiving. There's rejoicing. There's singing praises to our God. This is part of our communion with God. Singing and making melody in our hearts to our God. And so he journeyed on. He revisited the altar of intimacy. And no pilgrim progresses without such a place, without such a procedure. No pilgrim can proceed without such communion. Activity? Christian endeavor, oh, well and good, but my dear friends, not enough, not enough. Our hearts and minds should always be going out to God himself, seeking to have fellowship with, the enjoyment of, communion with him. In the searching words of Richard Aileen, that Puritan divine, he said, count not that thou hast lived that day in which thou hast not lived with God. Get what he was saying? A day is not really a day unless you've enjoyed God. That day is not worth remembering if you have not remembered your God. Abraham visits the altar of intimacy. And so, what flowed from that? What difference does communion with the triune God make in a life? Well, notice secondly this morning, we need to have the attribute of humility. We need to have the attribute of humility. 
And here I'm looking at what took place between Abram and Lot, recorded for us in Genesis 13, verses 5 through 9. And here we see the difference between Abram and Lot. One, his faith shone. Another, his faith stumbled and shrank. I'm not going to read the passage, the portion. I'm sure many of you know what's going on. And if you don't, just look back on your internet and to the church program for about a year ago. Your pastor was preaching on this very text itself. For Abram, the issue was not flocks and herds. It was not possessions and power or position. What was the issue here? was that of unity. Unity. What saddened and grieved the heart of Abraham was strife and quarreling. Why was he determined to maintain unity? Because of the relationship that existed. Because of the relationship that existed. Genesis 13 and verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. For we are kinsmen. The fervor, the feeling, the very passion behind these words. The, the, the sense is, is this. Men shouldn't quarrel over such things. How much less brothers. Brothers. Was that not Paul's reasoning in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 4? In 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle rebuked those who were insisting upon their rights and caring more for their goods than God's glory. Christian brother taking brother to court. No, says Paul. Why, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather suffer the loss of face than, than dishonor the name of God with your strife and your quarrel? And so what is our responsibility as we journey on? Surely this, my dear friends, surely this, to do all within our power to retain the atmosphere of unity, the humility and glad suffering of wrong, yes, even loss, for Jesus' sake. To be willing to be regarded as, as fools for the sake of Christ. Come over with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 
verses 1 to 3. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 1. What does he say? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here is how we are to walk. How we are to walk. Well, in a word here, we are to work Walk worthily, worthily. What does that look like? What, what's gathered up in that one word? Come down to verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, to be those who walk worthy, it means, as he goes on to say, and unfortunately our chapter division interrupts it, he goes on to say, therefore, be imitators of God. That's how we're to walk. Be imitators of God. And why? Because we are members, says Paul in verse 25. Because we are members one of another. This is how we talk. Because we are brothers, argues Abram. The relationship that exists. And therefore the responsibility that's expected. And that responsibility is brought out for us in that reading that we had from Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2, listen to this. I'm reading from verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The responsibility that is expected that we're to walk as he walked, demonstrating the grace of humility. As Jesus himself said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
What do we see here in our pilgrim father in Genesis 13? Here is a man who not only desires peace, but does all he can to produce it and to preserve it. To the degree that he is prepared to suffer personal loss to achieve it. And so how can we follow in his footsteps? Let me suggest this. Number one, learn when not to speak. Learn when not to speak. If only we could keep our mouths closed at times, what peace and harmony would prevail. Isn't it James that says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And secondly, put your circumstances into the context of the gospel. That is, what are going to be the implications of what we do or what we say? What will be the implications of the words that I'm about to employ or the work that I'm about to do? Will they affect my family? Will they affect my spouse? Will they affect my children? Will they affect my church? Because, beloved, not one of us is an island. Not one of us stands alone. We are part of the family of God, a blessed brotherhood. Will my attitude, will my words, and the very way I speak those words, will they produce peace or will they bring discord? Will they bring harmony or will they cause hurt? And so thirdly, Go out of your way to strive for peace. For remember, if your enemy hungers, feed him. But be prepared for separation. Because sometimes it's the only avenue which is left open. Because that's what you get here, isn't it? In chapter 13... Verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will take the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And yet notice, while having to separate, Abraham was ready also to rescue to rescue the one he separated from. You go on and read that in chapter 14. So beloved, seek the grace to be humble. And seek the grace to dismiss bitterness and ill feeling. To bring our, our conscience under the, the searchlight of God's powerful word and the enlightening of his spirit. And know that it's only by having communion with God that the fruit of God's grace will be seen in us. 
and he journeyed on. Abram, our pilgrim father, revisited the altar of intimacy and he revealed the attribute of humility. And thus finally and thirdly, as fellow pilgrims, we need to have the attitude of dependency. The attitude of dependency. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand why Lot chose his lot. What he looked for, he longed for. But where was it that he was looking for? Eventually. The very edge of the promised land had just sighted it because he, where does he settle? He settles in Sodom. And it would seem that God's promises didn't really mean a lot to Lot. Now promises are fine. But promises, you see, by their, by their very nature, grip the future. And Lot wanted to grasp the present. And so he walked by sight. On the other hand, Abram saw much more. He saw the promises of God for what they were. He saw future grace. He saw future glory. And so he journeyed on by faith. A faith anchored in the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God. Now Lot, Lot got the wealth, the pasture. He, he realized, as it were, instant success. He enjoyed the, the instant gratification of what he was after. But you know, verse 10 rings with a fearful doom. So what are we to learn? How does Abraham now live? He journeys on, banking everything on the promises of God. One only has to read Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 16. Abram's hope is in the God who helps. Because I want you to notice something here in 13th chapter. Verse 15, what do we read? For all the land that you see, I will give to you. Verse 16, I will make your offering spring as the dust of the earth. Verse 17, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. God says to me, I will. I will. I will. And God's promises concerning the future colored and shaped Abram's conduct in the present and for the future. And so here's the challenge that faces us. Only by giving did Abraham get. 
Only by giving up, as it were, his right, his privilege, his position, and allow Lot to make first choice. Only in giving does he get. Only in dependency is there ascendancy. Only in seeming folly is there reward. Only in losing one's life for Christ's sake shall we find it. Only in surrendering the right to choose first is there reconciliation and harmony. He trusted God. He hoped in God. He depended upon God. He accepted the challenge. But there's also here the certainty that empowers us. For why did Abram take what was offered and move on as he did and journeyed on? Because what, what he was offered had a guarantee. It had been guaranteed by Yahweh himself. You see, Abram, Abram faced toil and trouble. He was to take a land that was already occupied. He was increasing in age. But listen, listen. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Romans 4, 20 and 21. And don't forget this, don't miss this, the way the, the English Standard Version brings it out. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Don't separate those two. Because what am I suggesting? Just this. As Abram communed with the Lord, as Abram enjoyed that intimacy with God, as he called upon the Lord in prayer and in praise, in contemplation and adoration, he is giving glory to God, and God, in light of that, in relationship with that, strengthens his faith. God gives to him that faith to believe, for faith is not natural it is something which is given. It is something inwrought. It's an assurance based upon and arising from the deep knowledge of God Himself. He gives glory to God and God strengthens Him. His belief in the promises of God. The certainty that empowers us that God keeps His Word. And thus to close, the country that awaits us. Verse 10 of Genesis 13. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. I was nearly going to say when I was looking at this, he should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> because he didn't see clearly. He saw the pluses, but he didn't see the minuses. He saw the perks, but not the perils. 
It showed the profits, but not the losses. And what we don't see, and what we don't want to see, can be deadly, can be lethal. Just go on to chapter 19, and there you were confronted with the result of what Lot didn't see. The losses of his integrity, the loss of his morality, the loss of his property, the loss of his family. And so how we need to plead with God for discernment, then when opportunity knocks, we will be able to see clearly and discern wisely and to ask significantly, will this impact on my communion with God? Will this enhance my relationship with my spouse and family? Will it disrupt or develop my worship at church? Will it harden or humble my heart? Would it help me grow in grace and in journeying on following the Lord? Lot lifted up his eyes. But then in verses 14 through 17, Abram is invited to lift up his eyes. And here is sight sharpened by the statements of God. And like our pilgrim father, we too are invited to look at the promises. And like him, to look, but not experience what is promised. For Abraham and others died. And remember that word in Hebrews, not having received the promises. What does that mean? Because surely they received them. But what it means is, they had not received what was promised. They had not received what was promised. They saw the promises, they believed the promises, they held on to the promises, they lived with hope in the promises. And that's every pilgrim's position. Let me illustrate it this way. The words you know well, John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's this glorious promise, hope-filled, joy-inspiring, future-assuring, confidence-giving promise. And God says to Abraham, I will, I will, I will. And Jesus says to us, I will, I will. We receive the promises, but they're not yet realized. Because we're not home yet. He hasn't come back yet for us. We received them. We just haven't experienced the fullness of them yet. So what do we do, beloved? We focus on them. We feed our faith on them. We hang our life on them. 
And we too lift up our eyes and we look beyond the, the obvious and the apparent and the abhorrent. And what do we see? We see a new Jerusalem. A new heaven. A new earth. Where all the promises are perfectly realized. My friends, pilgrims keep their gaze on that country which is yet to be. Richard Baxter put it this way. By faith, that happy day. By faith, the new Jerusalem, the innumerable angels, the perfected spirit of the just, their glorious light, their flaming love, their perfect harmony. We hear by faith their joyful songs of thanksgiving and praise. And in faith and patience, we desire to follow our Lord and them. What are we looking forward to? What is our zeal? What's the end of the journey, my friends? We're journeying on this year. We're going on, but where are we going on to? God is the end of our journey. His pleasant and glorious domain. For there are the children of mercy who praise Him for Calvary's pain. Our pilgrim father journeyed on. And true to form, you find at the, the end there at verse 18 of chapter 13, you find him once again building an altar, continuing his communion with the Lord. So how, how are we going to get through 2024? We're going to journey on, are we not? Journeying on by revisiting our altar of intimacy. Revealing the attribute of humility with each other. And retaining the attitude of dependency upon God. We lift up our eyes and look. Look at what has been promised to us. Realizing that the half has never yet been told. And he journeyed on. May we too follow our pilgrim father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that grace which came to Abram. He'd been to Egypt but he's bound for glory. And we thank you, our Father, that we too, marred and marked by sin and failure, we too, our Father, characterized so many times by unbelief and arrogance. But, O oh, Father, in grace, draw us on. Work in us, frail, foolish creatures that we are, but work on us that we too may not rest, be content with our spiritual life, but journey on to God. Hear us 
help us for your own name's sake. Amen.